What's stopping efficient distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine? And is it even fixable in the short term? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The rollout of the vaccines for COVID-19 has been anything but smooth, which shouldn't come as a huge surprise given the unprecedented scale of the crisis and the need to vaccinate hundreds of millions of Americans in the shortest time frame possible. It starts with problems on the supply side, but for doses that have been produced and are ready to be administered, distribution is a whole other issue. On this episode, I speak with Robert Olzak, Supply Chain Director of Business Transformation Advisor RGP, about the major constraints that are hampering timely delivery of the vaccine. Chief among them is a chronic shortage of drivers, but it doesn't stop there. There are solutions to be considered, but the question of the moment is, can the problems be solved in the short term, or do we have to just suffer through the ordeal in the weeks and months to come? Here is my conversation with Robert Olzak. Robert Olzak, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be here today. Robert, what do you consider to be the major constraints on U.S. supply chains right now for vaccine distribution? What are the weak points? It's an interesting question. As you can tell from the news media and the content that's being published almost daily, the vaccine distribution is getting into the hands of healthcare providers. However, the issue remains that final mile delivery. So how do we get it from the manufacturer into the healthcare provider's hands timely and still maintain the traceability of that product from the point of manufacturing to final distribution? Well, it's underway now. The distribution is happening. Is it encountering these constraints that are actually hampering the ability of manufacturers to get the vaccine to where it needs to go? Well, I think the bigger issue is the cold chain solutions and the capacity constraints that is put on not just the vaccine distribution. So interestingly enough, there's a lot of focus on this. And obviously, as you stated, the distribution has already been underway for a couple months now. However, what's the capacity constraints that it's creating for other industry segments, such as your steel industry, auto, food, furniture, and other retail B2B, B2C consumer channels where the third-party or logistic service providers are struggling to keep up with that demand. For that matter, FedEx, UPS, and the like, I believe they are extremely active in the final mile delivery of the vaccine. Are they not? And if so, is that taking up resources that they would otherwise be devoting to just everyday types of shipments? Interestingly enough, there was an article that just came out, I think about a week ago, where Amazon uh, agreed to deliver a million doses of the vaccine within the first 100 days of Biden being in office. So yes, I think FedEx, UPS, DHL, Amazon are all helping in the final mile delivery. The bigger concern when you look at capacity constraints from a logistics and transportation perspective is how are the lack of assets, driver resources, and the declining capacity within the North American transportation and logistics industry impacting the ability to move materials and goods from point A to point B timely and what's the ultimate impact to retailers who are seeking to get those products and goods to consumers. 
I want to get to that in a moment, but I still want to stick with what's unique to this particular product, if you can call it that, and that is, as you mentioned, the cold chain, that most of these vaccines require super, super cold environments. Now, my understanding is that they're delivered in containers that can maintain that temperature so that the trucks themselves and the warehouses themselves don't need to be chilled to that level. Is that correct? So we don't need like giant frozen facilities. We just got to make sure that the packaging protects the vaccine inside? That's correct. But then there are also freezers where this stuff needs to be stored. Do we have enough of those? I mean, on site, at hospitals and healthcare facilities and in warehouses, are we encountering any problems there and just storing these containers before they even get shipped out or after they're shipped out and before they're actually used? I mean, that continues to be an area of concern and focus for the industry. Now, in truth, I'm not a cold chain solutions expert. RGP actually has a lady by the name of Carla Reed, who's an industry expert in this and who's helped with a lot of the solutions design. However, what we do recognize from our clients in, in helping to develop solutions for mid-mile and final mile delivery is that there isn't an, enough in, infrastructure capacity right now with cold chain solution storage so we're having to look at other alternatives to satisfy that demand. Now, what about the strategy of decentralized distribution, which I'm assuming is necessary given the size and scope of the nation and the like? Is that entailing certain problems like delivering to busy urban centers versus reaching distant rural areas? Is that a challenge? It is a challenge, and it's a great question. What we're recognizing, not only here in North America, but on a global scale, is, to your point, the logistics model and the strategy for delivering the vaccine or any product for that matter in those more extended and, and less dense populated areas requires a different logistics solution, which to your earlier point about decentralized distribution or logistics does put an emphasis on utilizing more tier three and tier four suppliers. So you're looking at diversifying your supplier base, having a greater dependency on smaller regional carriers to help satisfy that need. Well, let's talk more about drivers. The driver shortage has been an issue for a number of years now. We're talking about as many as 60,000 drivers short of what we need. And now along comes the vaccine distribution, which requires even more. How are we getting by in that situation? Are there recruitment efforts? How are we even dealing with the fact that there aren't enough drivers to get all this work done. So interestingly enough, year over year, the driver workforce population, especially in your heavy fleet and mid-sized fleet carriers, has gone up by about 1.7%. So we are seeing some increases within the workforce. But as trends have shown over the last decade in particular, the widening gap between the demand and the supply of qualified drivers to satisfy the demand through e-commerce and other channels is widening, and it's expected to continue to widen. So one of the common statistics is there's about 60,000 short of drivers. That number is expected to grow to about 100,000. What the industry is looking at is how to leverage incentives and create attractive packages for incentivizing the younger generation to enter the workforce. And one of the things that I found particularly interesting was as a result of the pandemic and with so many layoffs and people being faced with unemployment for the first time in a long time, the logistics and transportation industry in particular remained pretty strong. And obviously, mm -hmm. there was always a need for more drivers. So is there an interest or will there be a ripple effect of an interest in pursuing that as a career? However, in order to do that, I think we have to make it more lucrative and more attractive to a wider audience, including minorities, women, and the younger generation. So 
With that being said, I think a lot of states, a lot of local municipalities, and a lot of logistic service providers will start to make grassroots efforts to attract new individuals into the workforce to fill that gap. Is it too late, though, to address the problem of the moment? I mean, I imagine it takes a bit of time if you bring in somebody into the industry. Maybe it's someone who needs to be trained. It's going to take a while to the point where they can actually be up to full speed, so to speak. And yet we're in this crisis now. So maybe we're talking about that for the future, but can it address the situation of the moment? No, it, it can't. The, the reality is, is that the Delta is there and there's no way that we can remedy that immediately to satisfy the existing demand. What we're seeing in the industry is qualified drivers. Obviously, there are a number of those that are coming back out of retirement to help with the pandemic and the vaccine distribution. Then there are also wage and compensation incentives taking place where it's attracting drivers from other competing service providers. So what we're finding is that in many instances, we're all going after the same pool of candidates, but there's just not enough people to support the demand. And I believe you have pointed out that as for the existing pool of drivers, the ones who are being brought over for vaccine distribution, are they not being compensated more to the point of where the point you mentioned earlier in our conversation about the possibility of their being siphoned off from regular service. Is that indeed happening? Is there a disparity in income favoring the drivers who are handling vaccine deliveries? Yes. And then part of that, too, is more regionalized modes of transportation. So where drivers may have been on the road for a couple weeks at a time traveling the country delivering goods and products, now they're finding opportunities that may pay a higher per mile rate or a higher hourly wage, or for those that are independent owner operators, the revenue stream is much more lucrative when you're dealing with concentrated shipments in a specific geographic area where you're able to even be home and the work-life balance or quality of life is better. So we are seeing opportunities where qualified drivers are pursuing specific job related to the vaccine distribution. And then the other aspect of that would be taking opportunities away from other industry verticals. So as I've said before, whether it be food distribution, agriculture, or some of our other industry segments where they're now seeing a widening shortage in drivers and assets. What role can technology play, if at all, in helping to alleviate this problem? I know we're not talking, we're a long way away from self-driving trucks, so they put that aside for the moment. But what other types of technology could be of assistance here? That's an interesting question. I think technology is always going to be part of the conversation. Many of the clients that we work with are looking at accelerating their digital and technology transformation efforts. We're recognizing kind of a, a common pattern where those five-year plans are now being accelerated to two and three years based on the post-COVID recovery. What types of digital or technology enabling tools are available to help with this? I think one of the leading opportunities within the industry is going to be use of predictive analytics to better Mm -hmm. focus on demand and looking, getting away from a planning-centric model to focusing really on what those demand triggers are to stay ahead of the curve and predict capacity constraints ahead of time. But as far as driver recruitment, one of the challenges that I think the industry is going to face is you talked about self-driving trucks. I think that's a long way out. And even if that does come to fruition, I don't know if that's necessarily going to solve the problem. There's a lot of debate around the validity and viability of that long term. But I think introducing other ways of getting drivers to leverage technology, so whether it be on-demand capabilities, routing, or leveraging technology to optimize the logistics 
and transportation industry is always going to be an added benefit to creating uh, capacity within the network. But even the most sophisticated predictive analytics solution, let's say like a year and a half ago, would not have been able to predict what what the situation we're in now, the coming of a global pandemic, would it? No, it wouldn't. But I think the lessons learned from what we've experienced over the last 10 to 12 months uh, in working with certain technology partners is creating a a more robust platform in the predictive analytics segment. And what I'm seeing is that based on the data that we've been able to capture as a result of the pandemic, will come to fruition and help elevate the level of that data intelligence and predicting disruptions, whether it be environmental, economic, or in this case, a global pandemic. So you honestly think that in the future, because of the lessons we're learning now, we will be better prepared for future disruptions, regardless of what form they take? I I think we will. And I think the logistics service providers and everybody within the transportation and, and distribution industries are heeding the lessons learned. I mean, we've heard the phrase coined a number of different times, and it can mean different things to different people about supply chain resilience. But the takeaway is, how can we better utilize the data that we have at our disposal and use that to predict these types of disruptions? We may not be able to predict them to the level of accuracy that we would all hope for, but it enables us to better develop contingency plans to prevent the large-scale impact that we've experienced over the last 12 months. Okay, so I'm hearing some possible solutions and optimism for how we're going to deal with something like this in the future, but I'm not particularly hearing any really good solutions for what we do now other than to just kind of get through it. Are there things that companies and distributors and the industry can be doing right now to alleviate this situation, or is it just a question of just making it through? The unfortunate reality is I think we're just going to be suffering with making it through in the near term. And I don't mean for that to be a pessimistic message. When I talk to clients and I talk to other industry experts and and former colleagues, the conversations are all around the capacity constraints. And there are a lot of, a number of different influences that are driving this geopolitics, import, export tariffs, rising freight costs, lack of assets, or hesitancy to put on more drivers and, and add more equipment to the operating overhead, packaging issues. There's, there's a number of different drivers that are all helping to kind of create this perfect storm or tipping point. The reality is I think the conversation is fruitful and healthy enough that we're going to, as we did with finding a vaccine, we're going to accelerate our ability to respond to this and hopefully get ahead of this in the next, I would say, 90 to 120 days. I think part of it is going to look at leveraging, as you mentioned earlier, decentralized or hybrid models of decentralization when in terms of distribution and logistics. The other aspect is what technologies can we take advantage of now versus later and then those that are proven and demonstrated within the industry. And then leveraging just some of the things that we have done historically very, very well industry-wide, taking advantage of load sharing and, and maybe having a greater dependency on tier three and tier four suppliers, but capitalizing on LTL capacity where full truck load capacity may be at a minimum. You have companies like Amazon and FedEx who are very agile and and responsive, have the ability to add drivers, add resources very quickly. And I think all of those things are gonna prove well for the final mile delivery. Uh, The issue becomes, for me, as I pay attention to the trends and the emerging 
kind of statistics that are on being unveiled and unearthed over the last two months is how does all of this get coalesced and, and come together where it's a collaborative effort and we're going at this with kind of surgical precision rather than kind of hodgepodging and connecting the dots as we go. But mm-hmm. the reality is I think we are going to continue to be a little bit reactive in how we handle these new demands. As more companies turn to e-commerce versus old brick and mortar, as inventory levels continue to sit well below what they typically were a year ago, and then with the post-COVID response and economic recovery, the entire supply chain has to catch up. So from the demand planning, understanding that near-term and long-term horizon to building manufacturing capacity, turning products, I mean, a lot of people, the issue has become that a lot of manufacturers scaled back production. And now all of a sudden the switch has been flipped and consumer demand is up and they just don't have the materials and the capacity to keep pace with that new demand. So the entire supply chain has to catch up. But from the point of manufacturing to distribution to final mile delivery, I think there's a concerted effort there to address this in a timely fashion. I wonder, too, about an aspect of human psychology, though, in which we're always addressing the crisis of the moment. Memories can be notoriously short in the wake of a disaster or a big disruption. Do you think it's going to be different this time? Do you think that the scale and the seriousness of this situation is going to teach us some permanent lessons? Or if we go a few years without this happening again, are we kind of just going to sit back complacent and just go on with business as usual until we suffer from another horrible disruption? That is an Absolutely fantastic question. And I'm not a psychologist, but if I had to express an opinion, I would say I think human nature is we are short-term in in memory, and hindsight's always 20-20. It's very easy with all of the media attention and focus on the pandemic, recovery, the vaccine distribution. I hate to downplay the significance of what we're living through because it is a historical time, but it is somewhat the flavor of the month. I would optimistically say I think this is a unique and unprecedented situation that we've lived through. And economically, and speaking from a supply chain perspective, from an industry resilience and the ability to perform and the, and the emphasis and the gravity of which supply chain, logistics providers, warehousers, distributors, manufacturers all play a vital role in, in keeping the global economy functioning. I think the lessons will be heated, and I think a lot of effort will be put forward into developing new strategies and new ways of looking at the market to prevent this from happening again. Robert Olzak of RGP, I want to thank you so much for that really insightful view of where we find ourselves now in terms of vaccine distribution and indeed distribution of all kinds of products now and and how the future might look based on what we're learning today. Thank you so much for being with me today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Bob. That was my conversation with Robert Olzak of RGP, talking about constraints on the vaccine supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.